The following is presented to you in around sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Lady, don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxuriously. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics? pop culture, political violence, and what we can do about it, we cover it all. We know that no matter where you are, it's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Our guest this week is the founder and CEO of Dancing Hearts Consulting, LLC a progressive consulting firm that curates innovative ideas, programs, and campaigns to challenge the status quo. She was the first woman of color to lead a 501c3, 501c4, and PAC collaborative civic engagement formation focused on mobilizing progressive voters of color in the United States. She is also the co-chair of the Funders Committee for Civic Participation, a network of civic engagement institutions that move $170 million to the field each year. I'm so thrilled to have her on the show today. Please welcome my friend, the homegirl and the hand grenade, Esperanza K. Turvalon. Esperanza! E! What is good? What's good, homie? Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I'm super thrilled to finally be on the podcast. You know what, girl? It is just a matter of time. Um, We can't give everybody all the things (laughs) all the time. We have to, like... Spread it out. You know what I'm saying? I should have said in your intro that you are an Oakland native. For sure. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, if you know me, you know it's true. Listen, and you know, Oakland people are really serious about Oakland. And if you haven't gotten that from this podcast yet, you're going to get it today. A hundred percent. I like to remember when people say I put the East in Beast. Baby. Beast Oakland, baby. Beast <laughs> Oakland, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so good to I be love here. I'm this excited. Shit so much. Let's go. And of course, you know, we got to start just by acknowledging. I feel like I'm doing like funeral rites or some shit, but we just have to acknowledge that we are still in a pandemic. I don't give a fuck what Joe Biden said. Okay. The, For real. The pandemic is real. I just got my damn COVID booster and I got my flu shot because, you know, I'm not trying to deal with y'all germs. So I got to ask you, Eve, what has your pandemic life been like? And have you taken on any new habits? Mm, this is a good question. Live and direct from Miss Rona. Hello. Um, so I think, you know, I am from East Oakland, but I live in Oregon. I live in Bend, Oregon, which is super rural. And so it's a democratic 
uh, county, but I would say it's like pretty libertarian, kind of right-wingy. And so people here didn't believe COVID was real. Like I lived in one of those places where people were like, COVID's not real. I mean, I was like, it's definitely real. Because it's dying. Like, what oh are we God, talking about? Oh my God, this is so wild. And like, you know, people were getting sick here and they were like, it's just the flu, but I've been sick for six weeks. Like, no, my nigga, that is definitely the COVID, okay? <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, we didn't have the same kind of issues that y'all had in cities. You know, people weren't lining up to get in a grocery store. Not, none of that. It wasn't like that. But, you know, it's been pretty nice, to be honest. Like, you know, the expectations of having to go and do and be in person all the time have been reduced in the work. So I've actually, you know, the last couple of years, I've really built a new routine with my family. And as a person who always believed in winning, Mm. Winning is like my primary drive in life is to win. Um, you know, it's really given me an opportunity to sit back and to be and to be with mm-hmm. my family and to be with my loved ones and to remember why I do the work. And so the Rona has been excellent, excellent. I think the biggest thing that I have picked up in this time, so I love to work out. Like I, I don't do it all the time. I'm like a big body beautiful sister, but you know, yes, I'd you love are. to, I yes, love you to are. work out. You know, These niggas can't see you. I'm yeah. sitting here on the video with you, bud, but. They can't see you. So thank you for doing the descriptives. You I don't want to misstate. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I I, I, work out every day, but I never miss a taco or a glass of wine. So, you okay, know, it's baby. all working out. Keep that balance. But I was able to build a gym like everybody else. I like made my life at home. And so I have been so grateful to just be in a really good practice with my movement and consistent. And as a as an organizer who used to be on the doors and be out in the world moving so much, you know, this whole pandemic just made me so sad. Like I just was home and not walking and not moving. And that was that was tough, mostly on my mind, frankly. And then started to hurt my waistline. And so, you know, I keep it real thick and juicy, but I, I'm on this thing doing these exercises every day, baby. For the heart, Look at my mostly. sis. Look at my sis sending out the back signals. She said, <laughs> check this out. I am thick and juicy. Hello. And also working on my mind. Hello. <laughs> if that's not the Tinder profile, bitch, I don't know what is. I need to update my shit then because I really need all the things. If you're looking for thick and juicy, you know where it's at. <laughs> I've been asking people a new question. Yeah. You know, we're in this moment where politics have gotten real mushy. And we just went through about five, maybe five years or more of like, we have to understand the people who don't agree with us. And I'm like, "Mm, that's an interesting frame. (laughs) Because, you know, really what people were talking about was this like extreme faction Mm -hmm. of the conservative movement which like doesn't believe in science, also believes that Hillary Clinton was running a pedophile ring in the basement of a pizza shop. I mean, like, really, do I do I have to understand that or do I can I just like keep it moving? Because what are we doing? But there's a lot of conversation about us being polarized as a nation. And I'm like, we were never not polarized as a nation, but it's okay if what you want to say is we're having a reckoning around the things that form the foundation of this country. With that being said, I do believe that sometimes we can get evangelical mm-hmm. about our positions. And so in the spirit, right, not of bipartisanship, because I think that shit is bullshit right now. <laughs> <laughs> this, is why, that is this is why niggas uh-huh. don't like me. They'd be no. like, she is good for absolutely nothing. That's <laughs> not a real thing, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm not talking about bipartisanship. What I'm talking about here is tell me a story when you changed your mind about something that you really, really, really believed was like true, 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 true. Mm-hmm. Um, what got you to change your mind and what happened? So I think you, 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 you know this, but people don't. So, you know, I ride horses competitively 
and the kind of horseback riding that I do is just, it's just white. It's just all, it's all white people. I'm the only, there's like three black people in the nation who compete at my level. Um, and I'm, I'm training to be the first black woman to win a world title in what I do. But That's being in this, well, come on, you know, we always got to keep that number one spot. We just keep <laughs> that number it. one spot going, bitch. <laughs> but, you know, in this environment, I was thrust from a very left kind of everyday progressive, really thinking outside the box, and in some cases with futurists and people who are thinking really big, into this context where people are actually very right-wing, very conservative, um, racist, homophobic, all, all the things that you can imagine that, that you know, a right-wing white horseback riding space would be. And that has absolutely been my experience. And when I first went into that space, I thought, oh, you know, people will either say really racist things and be horrible, or they're going to avoid talking about politics. And what I found was actually neither of those things were true. People constantly wanted to talk with me and still constantly want to talk to me about race. They want to talk about how race isn't real and they want to talk about how racism isn't real, but they're interested in trying to engage a conversation about it in an attempt to change my mind which I find fascinating. Mm. I think one of the ideas that I had was that like we could change people's minds about some of our core tenets and beliefs. And what I found is that it's actually not true. I cannot have a conversation with a right-wing person about race and racism and the experience that I'm having and move them from that place. I can, however, have a conversation with people about things like that are that are lifestyle based. So, you know, I have a bigger body than all the white women I ride with. So I can talk to them about how different people with different bodies can't access the same things and eke into a conversation about race in this very roundabout way by talking about the body. Because a lot of those white girls are are big. They're big body, mm-hmm. juicy women too. And so getting to this place to be able to draw these parallels, I mean, I will just say this for the record, it's so much fucking work. I'm not suggesting that this is like the new strategy that we need to move into, but it changed my mind, particularly about how we on the left were approaching changing people's minds. Mm. We want to go into the facts. We want to go into the figures. That shit does not work. We know that doesn't work. Uh, But we also want to address issues head on. And my sense is that if we want to change people's hearts and minds, then we're going to have to do the hard work of organizing, which is not try and tackle it head on. You're going to have to go around and around and around in some kind of spiral until you can get people ready to take on the core issue. And I think in our, in the oppression, in the pain, in the, in the anguish of our experience, we're impatient to do that. But if we want to win, which I already told you is my core tenant in life, um, that's actually the work. And I think that it has, it has shifted how I organize and how I talk with people. And frankly, how upset I get about shit. I don't, I don't get all mad and shit. I mean, first of all, racism, expect it. That's happening for sure. Today, tomorrow, <laughs> to next week is definitely going to be some fucking racism. And you're going to have to navigate it whether you want to or not. And so mm-hmm. I don't let it shake me in the same way. And I, and I try and shake it off. But I'm also really intentional about where are the places and spaces that we're being strategic about trying to actually address some, some part of, of what's happening. And then I'll just say this last thing. I'm going to stop talking about, I mean, we're going to keep talking because it's a podcast, but you know, the other thing is I think I've had to really think through what what is it that we're actually trying to move and what's the fight we're trying to have? Because mm-hmm. like, I don't think we need to be in the conversation about all lives matter. We actually just don't need to have it. So what is the thing that we're trying to talk about when we're talking about police violence? And, and not just police, we're actually talking about state violence, about governments being violent against people and, and sort of playing, you know, judge, jury, executioner on the street. And so trying to like really take a second to be thoughtful that they are trying to grab me into a dynamic to talk about something that doesn't fucking matter instead of me taking a pause, taking a beat, taking a breath and figuring out what is the actual conversation that we need to have and going to stand on that. 
You know what? I really appreciate um, this example for a number of reasons. Number one, the question of this is a lot of work. So much work. This is a lot of work. So are we prioritizing? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's either like, where do you get the biggest bang for your buck? Or it's who actually needs to be doing that work, Mm -hmm. right? There's lots of roles in the movement. Is the role of Black people and people of color to convince white people that we have a race problem? (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely, it is not. I just thought, I know it was I know it was rhetorical, but let's just say no, bitch. Absolutely not. Somebody needs to do it, but it's not us. They they need to do their work, but it, it, that we need to stay focused. You and I have been in this movement for a long time, and just as a caveat for people who are listening, I'm not trying to position myself as a know-it-all. What I am trying to say is, I've seen many rounds of things. And I act from that place. So I'm noticing some things. And I am curious as to whether or not these are also your observations and what you think about them. So number one, so I have this thing that words mean things. (laughs) Turns out. And we're talking a lot lately about power, but it seems like everybody's talking differently about power. And in advance of the 2022 midterm elections, where literally... Just last week, the end of last week, um, the GOP sent up a trial balloon, right, around funding policing, Mm -hmm. and we failed the fucking test, Mm -hmm. okay? There's a lot of observations there about where movement needs to get to and where our movement legislators need to get to in order Mm -hmm. to stop repeating the same bullshit and thinking we're going to get different results, But it begged me to ask you the question, Mm -hmm. what is power and what does it mean to have political power and how do we know when we have it? You know, it's so funny because I want to just say in in terms of the lexicon of movement and philanthropy, because building power was actually created on the ground. I was one of the early people who used power building like 10, 15 years ago. We were talking about power building and then philanthropy picked it up. And then everybody starts saying power building and people are like, you just talk about the same work you've been doing and that's not building a goddamn thing. Also to all of your listeners who are going to be like, oh, she's old school. I am old school. Actually, my mom is a Black Panther and my dad was part of the Young Lord. So I definitely am steeped in a different kind of movement context than most people. I, I wasn't politicizing college. I was 15 years old eating dinner at Fidel Castro's house. So we are not okay. the same. Okay. Um, and that's okay. But so my my experience with this is very different. So I, I'm going to acknowledge that. And I have some old old ways about me, about the way I think about the world. And I think that's okay. I think that we need to have that kind of um, movement historical uh, view so we can understand all things that have happened before us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've had this word power. People have been kicking this shit around for a while and that's cute. But I think that the truth of the matter is that what we were initially trying to, to talk about, and I think talk about now, is how is it that systems that were built intentionally to keep people oppressed and disempowered are transformed in all the ways that they are transformed so that those people have voice, say, um, and and frankly, like the power to help recreate systems that are equitable for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's not just about Black people having more power. It's not about just doing away with white supremacy, although that would be super nice. It's the, it's the way in which all of these systems that govern our lives, so the political system, the healthcare system, the education system, how all of those systems get retooled so that we are not the object of, but we are speaking into, we are the director of. 
Mm. And so the way that it show, showed up in the left and that I think it should show up in the left is these ideas of like, then what? Then how do we organize to build that power? How do we build a base to build that power? How do we move elections to build that power? Because I think people think of power building in a very individualistic way. Oh, we are mm. going to run this thing. No, bitch, we're not going to run shit. These systems are going to change so that we actually have to do less work and we can mm-hmm. just show up and be part of the process. But until mm-hmm. that happens... We are going to continue to knock on these doors and change these systems through policy work, through organizing, and through electoral work. Mm-hmm. Political power, I actually don't think this is that complicated. Political power is the power that we create through participating in the political system. So voting, policy too, like po- policy advocacy work, and then moving elected, either becoming elected officials or moving elected officials to transform these systems through the political act, mostly of voting. It's not fucking rocket science, you know? Uh And building Black political power is about having people who are translating the values that we hold in organizing at the ballot box. And that continuum is about power. It's about people being able to take the stuff that we actually care about and use it to assess and decide who they want to vote for, what candidates, what issues, and then to press those people to do the things that we've said we care about. And that power mostly will happen when we can also get to some level of cohesion, given that Black people are not a monolith, no people are a monolith. Um, How do we get to some level of cohesion so that we are moving a shared agenda when we are not carte blanche the majority? It's no secret that the left has always had a very ambivalent relationship to elections, electoral politics, electoral organizing. And I do think we've seen an uptick over the last decade, but, you know, how did you go from being the daughter of a Black Panther and a young lord to (laughs) being the first woman of color to run a C3, a C4, and and a fucking pack, okay? And out here bossing what it means to build Black political power. Tell us a little bit more. Thank you so much for that. That was like, means so much coming from you, especially like from one boss to another bitch. Hello. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, listen, when I was coming up, my parents did not believe in voting. My parents did not believe in that shit. They didn't like it. They thought it was um, some like bourgeoisie situations. My my grandparents were huge voters. They were like, you know, they, they hadn't been able to vote. They got the opportunity to vote. My grandparents were like, you go to school, you get an education, you vote. Like, you know, that's how we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Uh-huh. With Period. a lot of love, just a lot of love. But, you know, that was that was how, and my parents were like, we're going to have a revolution. This world's not even going to exist. You don't need to worry about this voting shit. This shit is over. We about to bring in some new shit. Let's go have dinner at Fidel's house. Like, it was just, you know, a very different kind of situation. But I do remember when Jesse Jackson ran. My, my auntie Linda Burnham was was working. There's a bunch of people on the on the campaign. And he had a rally in Oakland. I don't remember where it was. I was a kid. I was young. My Auntie Linda handed me a bullhorn and I was like probably six. And so I started leading the chants at the fucking rally for the thing. And so I got in the paper and people, you know, they knew me. I was always been a loud mouth and I always love a chant or a song. Don't let me get, don't give me a fucking reason to sing. I stay singing for freedom, bitch. So we, you know, I, I remember that. Like I have this, I have this vivid memory. And I remember the night that he lost because it was very clear to me that something had changed. Something was different. My parents were participating. They had all voted. We were watching these returns come in. I didn't understand any of that, any of the Democratic Party nominee stuff at that point. But I found it very exciting. I found it very fucking exciting. And then 
when I went to go work at the union at SEIU 1000, I had been hired as a classy secretary, the lowest secretary. I, I literally made coffee for people and I answered the fax machine when it was a legit <laughs> fax machine. <laughs> Davey. Davey. I was changing that paper out and shit. Wow. Bitch. I've been in the like glossy paper uh, hello? shit. Okay. Yep. You know, I, I was classy secretary. I was there for four days. And my supervisor, my manager at the time, John Deloro, he said, hey, do you want to go to Las Vegas to help get out the vote? And I was like, i never been to Vegas. I was like, I ain't got no money to go to Vegas. He's like, we're going to give you per diem. We're going to put you in a hotel. We're going to drive you out there. I said, you ain't got to say, you ain't got to tell me nothing but a motherfucking word. Like, let's go. <laughs> and so I went out there and I didn't know anything. So I, I had taken like my four inch heels and like I was being, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I was young and I had She's it. Still I still got it, bitch. Four inch heels, y'all, just but so it, you I, know. Hello. I stay in a heel and I was doing it then, but that was crazy to go door knocking in those heels. But, mm-hmm. you know, I went out and I, I knocked my first door. I knocked my first door and this black woman answered in Henderson, Nevada. And I told her to the spiel and she said, I'm voting for Bush and it's about values. And I thought to myself, oh, it is about values. And I was like, bet, bet, we're going to see. And what happened to me in that moment is that I realized that I was losing. I'm not a person who I don't like to lose. I don't enjoy losing. It's not part of my, my makeup. And so I felt pushed. I felt pushed to try again. And then I realized that I was actually pretty good at a three-minute conversation. And so mm-hmm. when I went back that week and um, talking to all voters of color, the first week I knocked doors and they came in and they were like, hey, we want to review marking your sheet. And I was like, okay. And so we reviewed marking the sheet and they were like, so you understand that this means this? And I was like, yeah. And then they were like, okay, you have the highest numbers. Mm-hmm. You've never done this before. And I was like, I've never done this before. And they were mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. So I came back the next day. So for the whole first week, I had the highest numbers. And they were like, look, we'd like to train you to train people because you have really high numbers, so you might as well train people. I was like, okay. So the first week, I knocked doors. Second week, I trained trainers. Then I trained the trainers. And by the time I left, I was running GOTV. You know, I I picked it up and I really liked it. And then I I was very fortunate to get an opportunity to work on the Obama campaign. And and that was probably the first time my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing? Also, if you go and work on a campaign, yes, let's do it for the black man. And and I think got my family excited again about politics Mm. where people were like, okay, we're going to do this. And I was like, we are going to do this. We're going to do this Mm. because it's historic, because it matters. You know, he's not perfect, but we can do this. We need to break this mold right here. You know, I just, I got the bug for it. Sometimes you get the bug for something and I definitely, the electoral shit was my, was my shit. I mean, I was so fortunate to be able to, to move so much in my career, you know, work with amazing people. Congresswoman Barbara Lee out of California. I was her political mm. director for a year. I mean, just, she just working with goats. Bitch, hello, mm-hmm. just goats. You know, I just like been with the goats the whole time. And mm-hmm. it's been a real journey though. You know, I think elections are fraught. They're super problematic. Democracy is super problematic. You know, being good at playing a game doesn't necessarily mean the game is fair or the, ga- the game is easy or the game is right. But I, I definitely feel like I was able early on to help people figure out that this is a game. This is a game we can win. This is a game we can organize around. This is a game we can build power through. And I'm, I'm always going to be proud to be part of that, that legacy. Mm. I love this. There's so many things about this story that I love, so I had to make you tell it again. So number one, this is a story about how we find talent. Mm-hmm. somebody saw something in you and said, hey, you know, <laughs> you like to talk to people. You you outgoing. You, okay. you got some juice. First Let's they see. asked me if a bitch was cheating, though. That was amazing. <laughs> First they had to check. You me, feel me? You cheating on you these were, sheets? You were like, do I, do I look like I cheat? A bitch. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> Hello. So I love that. But I also love this piece about not making perfect the enemy of the good. 
And that is something that um, gets talked about in politics in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But it's important for us as we move into midterm elections to be thinking about this. I had a conversation recently with someone who said that Joe Biden was a fascist. And I was like, I mean, I get it in the broad sense of fascism, but we're actually fighting like a real ass fascist and his minions. And so, no, not for real, though. He's like, not my dude, you feel me? But um, I'm going to take him 800 times over Donald Trump. And that's just clear as day. And I don't have any qualms about saying that. And I feel like sometimes on the left, like, we girl. We're Mm -hmm. like afraid to say, yeah, I mean, I don't like his politics, but uh, we're dealing with a very um, controlled environment, right? And we have two choices right now. That's right. It's it's Donald Trump or it's Joe Biden. And Donald Trump is now coming in many forms. We have over 100 white nationalists who are open about being white nationalists serving in the United States Congress. So let me just like break that down for you. Crazy. All. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a hundred, that's like one fifth. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like one fifth of our this United is some straight States Congress this is, is like, math. just like straight up like this should just be a white country. So in that context, I fucks with Joe Biden. I really do. I fucks with him. And you know what? If we get another Barack Obama, I'm going Barack over Biden. I mean, there's just like some clear things. And Barack was not perfect. In fact, no. I had a lot of political disagreements with Barack yes. Obama. And I've been uh, chastised for being bold enough to say, I'm not with some of the shit this nigga talk about. Period. Be correct. Anyways, the point of my story here is not making perfect the enemy of the good, but it's in a context of what we're trying to move. And so I really want to talk with you, Eve, for a second about um, this thing that I hear a lot and this challenge and tension that I have as somebody who's newer to electoral organizing but understands the importance of it and is trying to build a vehicle to help us build power. You're fucking doing it. Um, What the fuck is going on with the Democratic Party? (laughs) And why? Why, why are we doing the same shit and expecting different results? We have elections on a timeline. It's every two years and every four years. And there's some there's some off elections in between there. But like generally, we know we got to move motherfuckers every two years and every four years. And we know, right, that these motherfuckers are going to send up trial balloons. This last recent one, defund the police. Oh, police are being defunded. You know, we got to we got to fight back, bro. Common sense will tell you police are the most well-funded institution in this fucking nation besides um, developers. A hundred percent. They are the they are the military, the military arm of the state. What you talking about? It's a fake crisis. Joe Biden just last month gave a hundred million dollars to police from covid money. He was like, oh, y'all ain't getting enough money. Let me move some of these COVID dollars over to y'all, <laughs> right? Like, like, there's a lot of money going to police. I want to tell y'all, police are not being defunded. No. But Democrats are up in fucking arms about this. And in fact, you know, a couple weeks before the midterm elections, we're doing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. So help us understand, 
because people don't want to vote for Democrats on this basis. And I'm over here talking about don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. And also, I'm hella mad. So right. can you help us break this down? <laughs> I mean, I'm a try. I got to tell you, like, you know, I'm not. I've been in the Democratic Party for a long time. I would not say I'm beloved in the Democratic Party. I like to ask questions. I mean, at I, least they let you stay in that shit. I don't know if I'm even invited no more, but in, they're sad on that. that shit. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely not beloved, but I'd be up in that motherfucker. Baby. Listen, here, here's here's the situation. Like, here's the just the truth of the matter is that people like to think that these processes do not govern their lives, but they, they actually do. Whether you vote or not, you're going to be impacted by what happens. And... You know, we think about, I'm going to take this back to organizing for a second. Like, we think about organizing. Casting a vote is such an easy action to take. You get time off work. You get a sticker. I mean, if you're in the South, you you got to jump through a lot of fucking hoops. But, you know, it's a socially acceptable activity. We're not asking you to lay down in front of a bulldozer. Ain't nobody asking you to come out here and do no direct action. We don't, you're going to go in this little polling booth situation. You're going to cast your vote. Mm-hmm. And here is just the truth. The Democratic Party is doing the same bullshit they've been doing because they are afraid to put their line in the sand to the left of where they are. Because fundamentally, Democratic Party mm-hmm. is a capitalist institution. And they want to hold up capitalism, too. They just want to make it a nicer, gentler, kinder capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. on the side of the left, what we're actually asking for is for people to be valued over the economics of this country, for us to actually mm-hmm. value people's humanity. And the mm-hmm. Democratic Party says that, they give lip service to that, but then they don't. Now, I want to I offer this as just like a reminder to everybody who's going to be armchair hustling after this election about what people did or didn't do. Black people are going to vote for the Democrat. That's not a question. Period. We are going to do that shit, okay? Period. And you know, it might be some other people of color who don't, and we should talk to them and like get mad. But black people definitely, black women definitely going to, if, if there's an election to be saved, we will continue to wear the cape, Okay. Thick and juicy all day with the t- with the cape, and we will we will save the election. If it can be saved, we will do it. But the real question that we need to ask is what kind of fucked up toxic relationship are we in where we keep coming to the rescue for this party that doesn't do anything really to move on our issues and isn't actually willing to see some kind of change about how they are interacting with Black people and Black people's issues. That's a problem. That's not a problem to deal with on Election Day. That's a problem to deal with in the years leading up to Election Day. There's actually a process through which we can shift the Democratic Party, talk to the Democratic Party, move them around their agenda. There's actually a whole fucking process around that. And you should be mad Mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. Election Day is not the Mm -hmm. day to try and come and like vote your opinion because nobody gives a fuck. It's too fucking late. You've missed the opportunity to play in the rules. You've missed the opportunity to actually have your voice heard. Not voting is not is a nothing. It's a throwaway. It's weak I need sauce. you to repeat that one more time. Listen. Like, Y'all be voting for these motherfuckers over and over again. You just got to stop voting. I'm like, That wait. is just like, what do you... You what? know what? You know, that's like, that's real fucking crazy. That's like, all we're going to do, we just going to, we're not going to drink this water. Water's just not, not going to participate. Good, like, that's exactly what the fuck they want. They don't want you to 100%. participate. Because then black women can't save the fucking election. Then black Hello. people can't actually have power and be powerful in the process. I think the, the problem is democracy. American democracy has failed us. It continues. It's an imperfect system created by teenagers uh, who came from another country who were dealing with a lot of bullshit and a lot of racism and wanted to set themselves up as little king makers, which is fine. Um, but there's some good stuff in democracy too that we can use to transform how these systems work. But that only works if we work it. Systems, as much as I, we like to think they're out here and they stand alone and they live in their own space, that's not how this shit rocks. Systems work because people work it. And so getting up and going to cast your vote is important. Listen, 
I know people are mad at, at Stacey, whatever. She said these cops should get a raise. I don't know what the fuck she said. I don't care. I don't really care. That's the truth. She said something about cops. Let me tell you two reasons why I don't give a fuck. One, we don't have the first black governor in the United States. Baby. That's that's one. That's the main. That's, that's, that's fact number one. Fact number two, the governor doesn't have any decision-making over whether or not cops get money or not. That's not even in her purview. That's a decision that gets made between the city and the fucking police. So if you're mad about that, that's because you don't understand how democracy happens. That was lip service. And I respect it. I respect her lip service. Cack, 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 bitch. Do what you do. I don't care about that. Bitch, I don't care about none of that shit, okay? But what I do care about, what does matter to me, is having this first Black woman governor. That actually matters. In a state like Georgia that had some of the largest slave trade happening, some of the most brutal fucking chattel slavery, some of the worst fucking hits on civil rights, on Black people, you're motherfucking right, we're going to have a governor. Because it means something, because it's a marker of power. And that has to be the driving force for people in this election. I mean, every day. Like, what is the change that we can make that makes a point, that makes has a political fucking power move? That's the stuff that's important. It's not this other shit. This shit is a distraction. And maybe you just don't understand how the game is played and you should come to one of my classes and I can teach you how the game is played. Um, but until then, you need to show your ass up and cast these votes. You understand me. I have so many more fucking questions for you, but this was actually perfect because I want to leave our listeners with this very important tenet, which is what are the markers of power? How do we know? Yeah. How do we know? Is there anything we would accept where we would be like, that is power. That's not something I think we think about a lot. The lightning round is um, intended for us to get to know Eve just a little bit better. These are all <laughs> questions that you will be she easily be able business, to answer. She's going to be in my you know business. Come on, come on, come on. All right. Um, question number one, sneakers or heels? Heels. Well done. You know. Uh, <laughs> but you do have some fly sneakers, though. Bitch, you uh, know. Question number two, flats or drums? Flats. That's the absolute right answer. It That's is. the absolute right answer. You're not answer. wrong. I mean, it is. All right. Um... Warriors or Lakers? Bitch. <laughs> it's the Warriors, but really keep it a buck since they moved to the city. It's Raiders all day. I don't give a fuck if they are in Vegas or not. They will always be the Oakland Raiders to me, and I will stay Raider till I die. But I do fuck with the Warriors, though. Okay. For okay, sure. Okay. 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 Well done. Tinder or Bumble? Tinder. I don't love this Bumble situation. I think this is a lot of bullshit. I, this, like, I have to speak first. That's not even how I want this to be going. Like, if you ain't dope enough to pop at me, we can't do this. And also, Tinder's for smashing. Like, just keep it clear. Bumble is, like, unclear because there's a lot of smashing on Bumble, but it's a lot of bullshit. Tinder's like, hey, we finna smash. Like, okay, that feels clear and not problematic. <laughs> okay. Um, E40 or too short? Ooh, shit. Shit! Well... I'm going to have to go with too short just for the East Open credit, but I will say this. Maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, it definitely would have been E40. Mm, mm. I, I know, it's hard. That mm -hmm. is a hard one. Good question. Mm -hmm. But Thank Vallejo you. will always be Vallejo. That's the truth. That's mm -hmm. the truth. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you another one that is Bay-specific. Mac Mall or Mac Dre? <gasps> That's so hard. I know. I know. I didn't want to do it to myself. <gasps> Actually, I'm going to say Mac Mall. I'm not going to lie okay. to you. That okay. shit was a knocking, knocking. In the, also in the know. 90s. I know. I know. So good. I know. 
fucking bringing up the beaters. Some of the babies be like, who the fuck is Mac Mall? And I feel away. I feel away. You need In to fact, press pause on this podcast right now if you don't know who the fuck Mac Mall is. Press pause and don't come back until you oh, got school. Shit. You ain't wrong, bitch. <laughs> you ain't wrong. Okay. Last question. When we're talking about ice creams, is it butter pecan or coconut pineapple? Probably coconut pineapple. Especially, there's this place in Oakland called Lord's Ice Cream, and they like always made their own shit. And I, I, I don't even know who they are. I think, you know, I think soon. I don't know. I feel like maybe there were Samoans who ran that place, but it couldn't have been because it's been around for 100 years. But um, they made the most best coconut pineapple ice cream in the world. And I fucks with it. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady just ain't going to do this week. Number one, political violence strikes again. Well, y'all, I don't want to be saying this, but it's true. Shit is getting really real when it comes to politics. This week, we learned that Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked in their San Francisco home by someone who allegedly wanted to hurt Nancy Pelosi. Now, if you don't know who Nancy Pelosi is, she is the Speaker of the House. She represents California. She's from San Francisco. And more than all that, she's in line for the presidency, like third in line or something like that. So there is so much to get into here. It's hard to figure out where to begin. But the first place we can start is that this is not something to look at lightly. I know, my loves. I've been breaking this down each week, saying similar things. But look, here's a tip. Don't look at these kinds of incidents like they're isolated. Don't look at them like they're random acts of violence. Nothing about this is random. And though you'd be right to say it's bizarre, you got to know there is a growing faction in this country that is embroiled in conspiracy theories about powerful politicians running child sex rings out of pizza shops. Those people also believe that Donald Trump is the appointed leader of this country. In every state in the nation, and I mean every single one, right now, at this moment, there are people running for office that are election deniers. Election deniers are people who believe that Donald Trump actually won the election in 2020. What's real is that we have to take this seriously. We have spent the better part of six years trying to understand where folks are coming from with this. So let me help you. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. This shit is dangerous, and it should be treated as such. Look, hysteria is also a component of fascism. Irrational fears about change and who that change will benefit drives this kind of behavior. Now, perhaps if Republicans hadn't been slashing and burning funding for social services, we could provide the supports that people need to help manage fear about a changing and uncertain world, which those fears are human and normal. We have a series of public health crises on our hands that are going unaddressed. That's a fact, which is why you need to vote these people out who refuse to show up for their responsibility to address and resolve these problems. Trust me when I say this is a big problem now, and it can and will get worse if we don't stop it in its tracks. And we have a huge, and I mean huge, opportunity to do that with these upcoming midterm elections. Other things Lady just ain't going to do this week. Takeoff from Migos is murdered in Houston. Now, the way my heart breaks about this is not really explainable. 
28-year-old takeoff from the rap group Migos was gunned down in Houston this week, allegedly during a dice game. Details are still forthcoming, but whatever the fuck it was, I know for sure it wasn't worth taking a young life over. Allegedly, there is also a video taken by somebody in his entourage of his dead body. Now, I'm not going to go on any kind of rant about the way in which we fail to value life. That's a fact. We know that. I don't think the lyrics of these rappers encourage people to be violent. I don't believe that. What I actually think is that we have and have always had a culture that resolves conflicts with weapons. And that tradition carries on today. Now, when you couple that with gun laws that literally put guns in the hands of anybody who wants one, well, that's where the shit gets atrocious. I blame the people who make the laws about guns, or rather refuse to make laws about guns. I blame a culture that devalues our lives and teaches us to do the same with each other. And I mourn this young life that was taken senselessly. And I grieve for all the people who are left behind without their loved one, who should still be here with us. Now, I also believe that Black men deserve to grow old. My condolences to take off in his family and friends. And as for me, I'm going to work and keep working to build the power we need to make the rules and change the rules so that we can stop stacking dead bodies. Other things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Okay, look, I don't even like Twitter like that, but I know some of y'all do. And given that, after this week, you should be very, very concerned about the future of that platform, and in particular, your safety on it. For months now, there has been a lot of back and forth about how Twitter was going to be sold to billionaire Elon Musk, founder of Tesla. But more than being a billionaire, he's a billionaire with some weird ass ideas about, I don't know, life. He's indicated all along that he intends to make Twitter a pay to play public square. And once he finally took over the platform, he went ahead and fired a bunch of people who were responsible for, oh, I don't know, regulating the platform. Now, word out on the street is that he met with some civil rights leaders this week and agreed to a bunch of demands around user safety. And he tweeted about his commitments today, which included not allowing anyone who was deplatformed, you know, like Trump or Kanye, back on the platform until there was a clear process for doing so. And including the civil rights community in a content moderation council that they're developing. Kanye shrug. Good for them for holding his feet to the fire. And I want to say that I don't actually have a ton of hope that the platform is not going to become even more of a cesspool than it is right now. But Godspeed, Twitter users. Your free time is most likely limited. And I mean that figuratively and literally. Okay, well, here's what we want more of this week, though. Number one and high as fuck on the list. Lula wins the election in Brazil in a victory for fucking humanity, okay? This week's news about Brazil was like a breath of fresh air for those of us who have been concerned about this racist right-wing conservative movement gaining steam across the globe. Now, in one of the closest races I've seen in a minute, leftist candidate Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva eked out a victory over current president Jair Bolsonaro. Now, in the last presidential election... Lula da Silva was barred from even running for president because he was in jail on what appeared to be politically motivated charges of taking a bribe or some shit for, like, construction contracts. Now, those charges mysteriously disappeared, but hey, 
we know what the far right is known for doing is cheating because they haven't earned a mandate to lead. So this is really just par for the course. Much work will need to be done to solidify this victory and move Brazil forward amidst increasing poverty and destruction of the Amazon rainforest. Unfortunately, Lula will face stiff opposition from Brazil's Congress, where Bolsonaro's allies have won a majority of the seats. But stay tuned for more news about the changes in Brazil as they unfold. You can always, as usual, find those here. Other things Lady loves this week, elections, which are coming next week, like on Tuesday and shit. And after months of organizing and agonizing, to be honest, elections are upon us. This has started to become one of Lady's favorite times of year, as finally we can get some damn resolution and see if our organizing paid off. Kind of like tending a garden and checking for fruit. Now, I can't emphasize enough how important these elections are. And I am telling you without a hint of drama, and I mean not a hint, that what is at stake in this election cycle is whether or not we are on a path to having more elections or none at all. Now, I'm fucking serious about this. So if you've been standing on the sidelines thinking this shit don't matter for your life, trust me, it does. And more than that, just think about it this way. I would rather you have the choice to vote than not have a choice at all. So let's work together on that. On the ballot are the people who make the rules about whether or not you can vote and under what conditions. Those people are the Secretary of State. Also, the people who sign or don't sign laws that you care about once they've been negotiated by your representatives, those are your governors. They are also on the ballot. Who represents you in Congress is on the ballot. So vote. It takes literally no time at all to secure your future. Plus, you get a cool sticker and you get to be on the right side of history. Imagine that. If you want more information on what's on the ballot and who is on the ballot in your state and what they do, go to www.black2thefuture.org. All you got to do is plug in your zip code and your address and voila, all you need to know about who's trying to represent you. See you on election day. I mean, I already voted like two whole ass weeks ago, but you still have time. Welcome back to Ladies Love Notes, where we give you all of the real about being newly single and dating in your 40s. Okay, y'all, I have a love notes brewing inside of me, as I mentioned last week about how to catch a predator. And I'm about to get to that, and I promise you it will be juicy and right on time. But because there is no timeline on talking about motherfuckers who ain't shit and try to run game that they don't have and never did have, that's why they're trying to run game, because it's a fucking performance— we gonna let that one cook, as the old folks used to say, because this one is just too good not to be done right. Now, in the meantime, we are taking your questions, and this one leapt out at me from the grab bag. What do you do when the entire idea of dating feels exhausting? Too many bad dates, bad relationships, and it seems hard to find a good fit. Signed, too old for this shit. <laughs> Dear too old for this shit, me too. Me too. I swear to God, me too. I too am too fucking old for this shit. And so let me just start off by saying, I feel you. And I am forever your comrade in the too old for this shit struggle. Solidarity. <laughs> nah, but for real, for real, I do feel you. Dating is exhausting and just the idea of it, but also like the practice of it. 
It can also be exhilarating and all of that, but it's a lot of work and it's not for the faint of heart. I don't know. I go back and forth on this question, to be honest, because I am both a pessimist and an optimist, and they are always fighting for power inside of me. And in the last few months, I have been on good dates with folks that I wasn't a match with. I've been in situationships that eventually got on my nerves for one reason or another. And I've been smitten with people with varying degrees of success. And I don't know. After a whole last year of this shit, I am happy to say that I think maybe I might even be actually ready to find someone I can stand still with for a second. This is big for me, and that's as far as I'm going right now, because I've become quite the commitment phobe over the last year for various and varying reasons. Some of them mine, but most of them due to some of y'all and your weird-ass behavior, just to keep it a buck. But all of this to say, my best advice here is to swim with the tide and not against it. Now, here's what I mean by that. Babe, you feel what you feel, and your feelings, they ain't wrong. It doesn't mean they're not temporary. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're your feelings. And every moment you are breathing, you get to decide what it is that you do or don't do with those feelings and with whom. So if you're tired of dating, stop and date yourself. At the end of the day, you've always got yourself to come back to. Now, you're going to know when you're ready to get back out there in the streets. Just give yourself some time. However, My one piece of advice would be this, stay open. If you feel yourself closing up and closing off, take yourself off the market for a bit because honestly, whatever energy you giving ain't finna help you with the bad dates or the bad relationships. I do think there's a lot of us out there going on dates when maybe, actually, we need to be doing some self-work to be aware of what we bring into the table and to get ready to actually be in a connection. And, you know, maybe therapy isn't for everyone, but it certainly is for some of us. And for me, myself, I go in and out of the dating scene as appropriate based on what I'm noticing about myself and how I'm showing up for myself. I actually am really working on this reciprocity thing because some of y'all got me fucked up getting too much from me and I'm not actually receiving enough. But with each instance, I take what I know and I grow. So I'm here for dating, even with all the ups and downs, with the caveat that the only thing you can do about bad dates and bad relationships is work on you. So keep going, beloved, whatever direction that may be. And if you decide you need to be on the bench for a while, I feel you. Take a seat, relax, kick your feet up for a minute. You'll be back. (laughs) Oh, shit. amazing to have you on today. Tell the people who are listening where they can find you and your excellent work on the socials. Thank you so much, sis. I really appreciate you having me. It's always an honor to be in your presence, to kick it with you, to learn from you, to talk with you. Um, folks can find me on the socials, on um, Instagram. I'm mostly on a gram because I'm that age. You know, I watch TikTok videos to be ready for the gram. 
Um, so I would um, Dancing Hearts Consulting is on the gram, and then you can actually follow me. My, the best place to do it is Riding to Win um, on the Instagram. I'm not sure you can watch my horses and my other shit. And um, I'm just so glad to be here and, and talk with y'all. You're amazing. Thanks for being on. That's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I will be back next week with a brand new conversation and some more news you can use. We appreciate you joining us today. So let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. (laughs) We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out our socials to find out how you can take action. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. On Facebook or Meta or whatever the fuck it is these days, we are at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. And we really do appreciate it when you subscribe and you write us a review. So let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bioterics. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, shout out to the resistors pushing back on the far right movement in Brazil and congratulations on that incredible victory. Black men deserve to grow old and gun policy has a lot to do with whether or not that happens, my friends. And it's up to us whether we play music on the Titanic as the ship goes down or whether we patch the fucking boat and get to rowing. So vote before you lose the chance to. And no, I don't just mean this time. I mean permanently. That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no. She insists on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman is. She won't speak less of something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Never luxurious. Love y'all. Carries herself like the...